Sing to the Lord as we continue to worship. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry? Who can carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. Sing, I was breathing.
can be seated as we continue. We've got a special dedication this morning that Evan and Avalyn are going to come and lead us in. So turn your attention right here up front. Thanks, Josh. Uh, Good morning, everyone. We're so glad that we get to be here worshiping together at Cypress Bible, and uh, we are celebrating child dedication today. Uh, This is such an exciting moment, not only for our children in our church, uh, but for our parents and families, uh, and also a celebration as a church. Uh, You see, we are coming together uh, to celebrate the children that God has brought into our family here. Uh, Every time we have child dedication, I like to read from Deuteronomy uh, because it is a reminder about the responsibility that we have as a community. Uh, You see, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, listen to this call. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, never in that passage does it say, parents, this is just for you, uh, but this is for the community of Israel. And we can read these words and remember, this is something that the community of the church has as well. We have a responsibility to help our children grow up in the knowledge of God. And so we are celebrating these families who are dedicating their children to the Lord today. And we are so excited that you get to be part of that. And it's my privilege to introduce the Gearing family. Matt and Michelle have been here at CBC for many years. Uh, Michelle served in student, student ministries for a while. And recently they both have served in the nursery um, until they had uh, Kenna. And today they're dedicating their younger two, and they have their older daughter Lily with them, as well as several members of their family. Um, the parents have said that for Lena and Kenna, their dream and desire is that they will passionately pursue God and that they will use their gifts He has given them for His purpose and that they will find peace and fulfillment through Him. And so, This morning, we'll start with Lena Shea. She's two years old. And her parents describe her as mighty, affectionate, sweet and bright and inquisitive. And dad said she's kind of sort of a Jekyll and Hyde because she can be sweet, but she can also be very strong-willed. So I'm going to let them go ahead and do the blessing for her. Dear Lena, for your dedication today, we have chosen this verse for you. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 8. 
Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Lena, we chose this verse for you because you are so mighty, and we know that God has a uh, special purpose for that strength that he gave you. Uh, He will uniquely equip you for the plan that he has for your life. Uh, Today we bless you and dedicate you to the Lord. And next we have Kenna Faye. She's six months old, and Matt and Michelle describe her as a sweet baby. She smiles all the time and at everyone. Her smile is her foremost feature. She's patient and tolerant, slow to anger and frustration. She's a very happy baby. And so now they're going to go ahead and do uh, their blessing for Kenna. Dear Kenna, for your dedication today, we have chosen this verse for you. Uh, 1 Samuel 1, 27 and 28. For this child I pray, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. We chose this for you because we desired you. We prayed for you. And the Lord granted us our prayers. You were a precious gift from God. And we pray that you will grow to pursue him in all things. Today we bless you and dedicate you to the Lord. Now at this point, we are having the uh, Gearings Read uh, Parent Commitment. And... uh, This is a special reminder of uh, the role that God has placed uh, for them, uh, for their children. So I will read this uh, commitment with them as well. So let's go ahead and read the parental commitment. We recognize that children are a gift from God. As parents, we have the responsibility to prepare our child for life. We affirm that the most important preparation for life involves their own relationship to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of this, we commit to the following. We commit to model for our child what becoming more like Jesus looks like, to pray for our child regularly, to instruct and guide our child in their understanding of what it means to become more like Jesus. Thank you. Now the church, it is our time. It's our uh, opportunity for us to be a part of the Gearings and their family. And so let's make this commitment to them. Uh, not just let these be words, but let this be a commitment, uh, words promise uh, that we recognize what our responsibility and role is. Would you read this with me? We recognize our role as a church family is to walk beside these families, to pray for them, to encourage them, to be good models of those becoming more like Jesus as God prompts us to participate in the care and instruction of these children and parents through our own personal ministry and the ministries of the church. Would you pray with me? Let's pray for the gearings. Lord, we thank you so much for this special day. We thank you uh, for Lena, for Kenna, for Lily, for Matt and Michelle, for their family that are with them today. We thank you that we get to be a part of their life, uh, their walk with you. Thank you so much for bringing them here to CBC and for the blessing that they are to our church. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for uh, Lena and we thank you for Kenna, for the personalities you've given them. And we pray as Matt and Michelle have prayed uh, that they will passionately pursue you. 
I pray for Matt and Michelle that they will passionately pursue you and that their children will see that pursuit, that love that they have for you and that they will follow after their parents' footsteps. We pray for Lily that she can be a good big sister and help be a good role model for her sisters. And we pray for the Gearing family to surround them, to encourage them. We pray that we as a church uh, will be Jesus to them, that we will be the body of Christ and support them, encourage them, lift them up, and help these children grow up in the knowledge of you. Thank you so much for this chance for us to celebrate the children of our church, the families that you've brought here. It's all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said... Amen. Thank you all for being here today. Would you go ahead and uh, just show some appreciation to the Gearings today? Wow, what a special moment. So glad that as a church family, we get to celebrate those who are committing their children to walk in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I'm so glad to be here with you. And I just want to continue in our time of worship because that was a moment of worship right there. But as we continue to worship, we have a wonderful uh, group of people leading us today, and it's mixed in with some of your students. And I love watching the generations worship together, and there's going to be some generations that are even leading us in a song here later. Uh, And so I just invite you as we continue to worship that we take these steps of remembering who we are in Christ. We just sang about the gospel through glorious day that he has saved us. We're about to sing a song about our identity about who we are, that we are sons and daughters of the most high God. And the scripture says that Jesus has set us free. And so as we begin this next song, I want us as a church body to read this scripture passage together. So would you stand and let's say this simple scripture passage right out of John about our freedom in Christ as we continue to worship. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. Let's sing about our freedom as Alicia leads us. Oh 
together with Holly.
I choose to praise. You know, there are so many things in our life that come, circumstances that come our way. And it's a choice to worship, isn't it? Sometimes we don't feel like it all the time. God knew that. God can receive that. But when we choose to praise, he can change our perspective. So would you sing that together? I choose to praise. And I choose to praise. To glorify, glorify the name of all names. And nothing can stand against. I choose to praise. To glorify, glorify the name of all names. Nothing can stand church, we begin this six-week emphasis. Together we pray that we will focus as a church seeking God's will, his direction, his guidance in our lives. Notebooks for this are available for each family, each household as you leave today in the commons. For those online, elsewhere, there's where you can find it on our website, these materials, to help focus us each of these next six weeks, which will culminate in a prayer event together in November. But this week, this day, we're praying that we'll worship, adore, and praise God in spirit and truth. Actually, it's not spirit and in truth, it's spirit and truth. There's Not two prepositions, but one. So spirit and truth are together. Based on what Jesus said. That God's a spirit. And this is how he must be worshipped, in spirit and truth. You know what the opposite of spirit is? In the scriptures, it's flesh. It's me. And I don't know about you. But my me gets in the way a lot. My flesh interrupts my ability to worship truth. The opposite of that is the lies. And they're everywhere, aren't they? The lies of what other people say. The lies we tell ourselves. The lies we believe. And how much we need the truth of God. So if we are to worship acceptably today, one thing we need to do is to confess that very thing, to confess those ways in which our flesh has gotten in the way of of the Spirit of God's work in our lives, that, that our lives have gotten in the way, the world's lives have gotten in the way of the truth of God. And so I'm going to invite you to pray with me, to just take a moment. And if you are able and if you're comfortable, I'm going to invite you to just to just kneel down even if you can and if you need help getting up afterwards like me we can do that but in in, in your place to just take this moment and confess to the Lord say here's how my flesh has warred against the spirit here's how the lies 
have deceived me away from the truth and repent and know the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus. But that's a step to worship today. We can't worship otherwise. So just in this next moment, would you bow before the Lord and speak to him, just you and him right now. God, your word promises that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord God, assure us through Jesus, his perfect sacrifice of our forgiveness this morning as we confess to you. And I invite you to pray aloud this prayer as we close this time of focus on God. Pray with me. Forgive us for worshiping what is not you. Help us to understand the fullness of who you are, your heart and your truth. Help us to honor you with our lives and within the life and ministry of the church. Teach us to worship you with all our hearts. Help us to be sincere. May we be motivated by our love for you and by our gratitude for all you have done for us. You alone are holy, righteous, and absolutely worthy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand? And let's worship this Lord who has done all for us. Just stay in that spirit of prayer as we sing this next song together. Lift us up. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought. And storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. We stand in your He came to stay Till on that cross As Jesus died The wrath of God Was satisfied For 
every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live I live Because all other ground, anything we, else we want to try to put our hope in will fail us. But our relationship with you, the love that you have for us will never fail. We believe in your promises. Lord, thank you that we can hold on to that hope that never changes in a world of ever-changing circumstances. You are what remains. We praise you for your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness to us, to your people. And Lord, may we live out of that confidence. In Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we 
talk about the solid rock on which we stand this morning, we first are going to be reminded about the sinking sand that's everywhere. I'm sure that uh, you've seen enough consumer warning labels in your lifetime, um, and there are a few that you wonder, why is this there? Let me give you some examples. Bottle of Nitol sleeping tablets. Warning may cause drowsiness. I hope so. Can of Kraft Easy Cheese. Caution, for best results, remove cap. Also good advice. Portable stroller. Caution, remove infant before folding for storage. A Batman costume. Warning, cape does not enable user to fly. And my favorite, a bottle of hair coloring. Do not use as an ice cream topping. (laughs) But even ridiculous warning labels are important because you know they're there because somebody tried that once. Ecclesiastes is an important warning label for life. It's written by a man who had it all. Solomon, we talked about why he, I believe, is the author of this biblical book, is king. He's wisest ever, incredible wealth. And throughout this book of Ecclesiastes, it describes many different detours and dead ends in the search for satisfaction and meaning in life. It goes through things like money and power, indulgence, learning, fame, achievement. And in all possible human pursuits, the teacher, uh, what he calls himself here, comes up empty. Solomon says, I've been down all those roads, and let me tell you where they lead. Now, he does find the key to satisfaction and joy, and he tells us the answer in this book, but the answer's not on every page. First, he tells us all of the the ways that, that that are empty, that are wrong, the emptiness he found. We began this series last week in chapter one, and where... Solomon focused on wisdom and intellect and concluded that that cannot fix what is fundamentally wrong. That is, apart from God, humans are bent, they're broken, and they can't solve that problem through insight or information or intelligence. And he said, devote your life to that, and the result is going to be frustration and dissatisfaction. Now, in chapter 2, our focus this morning, under the sun... Solomon continues this search. Under the sun is life on this planet apart from God. And the focus on this chapter of life under the sun is pleasure. Solomon chases after all forms of self-gratification. And here's how it begins. Verse 1. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. I want to point out to you that the Hebrew word for test here, nasah, where he says, I will test you with pleasure. It's a word that appears elsewhere in Scripture. Remember when David, the young shepherd boy, volunteers to face the Philistine giant, the champion Goliath, because nobody else is stepping up to defend the, the name of God? King Saul, who would have been the logical choice as being the taller Israelite who's in charge of the army. Here's this shepherd boy come and say, I'll fight Goliath. And the king says, okay, take my armor, take my sword, go on out there. David 
tries on the armor. And he handles the sword. And then he says to the king, no thanks. I haven't nasawed these. I haven't tested these. I haven't proven them. I don't know that this works. That's what Solomon did with the good life. He's testing it out. Will pleasure prove satisfying? Will it bring real value and meaning in this world? And it reports already, the answer here is no. Pleasure doesn't provide lasting meaning or ultimate satisfaction. It's meaningless. It's a vapor. It's a mist. Something you can't grab your hands on. Say, okay, Solomon, but what pleasure did you try? Because after all, you lived thousands of years ago. Uh, Well, he goes on to list at least seven categories of self-indulgence. At least seven. Uh, And we'll go through them quickly. The first is amusement. He says, verse 2, laughter is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? Laughter. Being surrounded by happy people, funny people, filled with jokes and amusement, laughter. Solomon's not against that. In fact, later in Proverbs, he writes that laughter is good medicine, does you good. What, what he's warning against is that this doesn't accomplish anything permanently. Fun is fleeting with no lasting effects. Years ago, uh, Amy and I uh, had three couples over for dinner, and for some reason, uh, it was just one of the most entertaining nights we've ever had. Two of the couples we didn't know that well. The others were, were friends of ours. But uh, it, there was no alcohol involved, okay? There, there, we didn't even play games. We just had conversation. And we laughed until our sides hurt. I don't know why it all came together in that way. I know when the, when the couples left, they all said, this is so much fun. We've never had so much fun. Within a couple of years, one of those couples was divorced. And one has experienced the the heartache of having their only two sons completely turn away from God. Laughter is empty. No residual effect. Nothing left which satisfies. So so that kind of temporary pleasure is, is pointless. It won't bring meaning to life. Next, he talks about drinking and parties. All right, so here we go, verse 3. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So Solomon analyzed his experience with wine. Now, we don't need Solomon to tell us that drunkenness and overindulgence won't bring happiness. But this is different. He explored this with wisdom. Uh, In other words, he's a connoisseur of fine wine, using alcohol to gladden the heart in a good way. He's governed by wisdom when he does this. Will that bring meaning? That's the question. Then he tried folly. This word sikel occurs seven times in the Hebrew Bible, all of them in Ecclesiastes. It, It means, this word folly means to live without moral boundaries. Uh, it's, it's, it's a foolishness that embraces the party life without dependence on God at all. So he pursued drinking and entertainment to gauge their potential for true satisfaction. And, and what does this do for the children of man? I point out that phrase again, bene adam, because this is uh, referencing people apart from God. 
I believe. Does this bring ultimate meaning to life? Next comes projects, possessions, power, and promiscuity. That's what happens here, verse 4 to 8. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. Quite a list. So he aimed to build something that outlived him. He spent money on projects that would bear his name, his imprint. Whether they were a pyramid or a cathedral or a castle, it was a lasting memorial to his indulgence. And these were technical feats of engineering, but you've got to appreciate they're not public work projects. He's not doing this for the good of his nation. He's doing this for himself. He admits as much throughout. It's for his own pleasure, his own enjoyment. You can get a glimpse of that just by the two building projects we have recorded for us in the Old Testament, that he spent seven years building the temple to Yahweh. Seven years building the temple. He then spent 13 years building his own place. So there you see, the yeah, seven years for God, 13 years for my enjoyment, my pleasure. And his projects, he talks about here being orchards and gardens and man-made lakes and every kind of fruit tree. He's basically trying to recreate paradise. With his unprecedented wealth, he buys people, his slaves, to do his bidding. And this wasn't a brief experiment. He, he, He spent years amassing and spending a fortune on these projects. Today, what would he have done? He would have had a rocket built and shot himself into space. That's what he would have done. He's doing anything that comes to his mind. No one, he says, had more sheep, more more cows, more camels, more horses than me. 2 Chronicles 9 tells us that he had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots alone. So he, he had a fortune in silver and gold. He was a patron of the arts just for his own pleasure. He was a a connoisseur of music. He collected the finest musicians and choirs. Forget iTunes. He could pull up anything he wanted live at that moment. Imagine your favorite artist, your favorite band, your favorite song. You just call, come here, play for me while I sleep. That was his opportunity. And there was the harem. So whatever urge or sexual desire that he could dream up, he could indulge in. The the wording here is a crude term, by the way, that references women who are used only for sexual pleasure. That's the whole point of what he's talking about here. So Solomon went down every avenue of self-indulgence that he wanted to do. Every day was a holiday. Every meal was a feast. The best comedians and musicians and entertainers and chefs and sexual partners were at his disposal. His daily menu, we even know what it was, at least for a time. First Kings chapter 4 records his daily, his daily menu. That daily menu could feed 10 to 20,000 people, depending on how much hamburger helper you used, I guess, was the difference. 
In summary, Solomon tried projects and playmates and alcohol and arts and comedy and construction and trees and treasure and music and merriment and feasts and foolishness and water parks and wealth and slaves and sex. And after all of that, he says, verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So the teacher did everything, it literally says, his eyes requested. Anything he saw and wanted, he did. Even though... He exercised no restraint in pursuing sensual pleasure. Nothing lasted. He worked really hard at it, he said. Pleased with how hard he tried to do this. But nothing permanently filled the emptiness. And so after denying himself nothing, life was still frustrating. Life was still incomplete. And all these efforts, he said, are meaningless. That word means a mist. They're a vapor. Nothing you can grab onto. He says, this is what's true for life under the sun. It's just a mist for for life on this planet. Life under the sun, which is used, by the way, 28 times in this book, refers to to, to life on earth without a view of eternity. It's, It's a life that doesn't take into account being made in the image of God and and for his purpose. It's a life devoid of ultimate meaning, no matter what we achieve or experience. Actor Jim Carrey describes it well when he says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. A lot of quotes like these from celebrities that I'm going to share with you throughout this series, but that sums it up very well. That's what Solomon basically says. And I know that some of you are thinking, well... I'm willing to give it a try. (laughs) Obviously, that's not even possible for almost all of us. But Solomon is saving us that trouble. And his one of his messages here is that when you indulge in everything, you're left with nothing. Go after everything. But it's meaningless. That's why this last week the Powerball jackpot was something that made news everywhere. It's $699 million. That probably would pay off your school loans. Where so many people think, if I can just score that, my problems would be solved. My life would be full and complete and I would be happy. Despite the fact that all you have to do is read back into all the jackpot winners throughout uh, our, our history and see how many of their lives just flew apart as a result. And besides, the winning ticket was sold in California, if you didn't know. We live in one of the richest countries in the world. We have more at our disposal than any civilization throughout history. And we can fall into the trap so easily of thinking that vacations and houses and vehicles and food and money and sex can make life worth living. And Solomon says, I've been all the way down all of those roads and that's not it. 
So what do we do with this knowledge? What do we do with what Solomon tells us here? Do we go live in a cave? Do we become Amish? Do we uh, make sure we don't smoke, drink, chew, travel with those who do? What do we do with this? What's the lesson? Here it is. Solomon begins, verse 24. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? So the lesson is not to avoid all pleasure. That's not the lesson. The lesson is to learn how to enjoy whatever it is that God gives you. Pursue life as God allows it. God is pleased when we enjoy the food that he made possible. German theologian Martin Luther once said that if our Lord created good fish and fine wine, then I'm probably allowed to eat and drink them. He said it in German. It sounds much better. But God is blessed when we enjoy the fruit of the vine that he created. Sex within marriage makes God happy. Our laughter, our joy bring delight to the heart of God. The projects that we accomplish that spring from our God-given imagination are wonderful. He's honored with, with how we carry out our work and our responsibilities. I understand many people are unsatisfied with the job that they have. They find it unfulfilling. A career change might be a good thing. But the reality is, and understand this, that no job will provide lasting joy or satisfaction. So look for the good in the job that you have. Consider the beauty of the work that you do. If it's drudgery, appreciate how it keeps you occupied and provides for your needs. So enjoy your food and your drink and your work. But the key is to see that all of it is given to you by God. Ultimate joy is something only God can dish out. So see things as gifts from his hand. Uh, let me put it in these words, that you can enjoy whatever God gives within his guidelines. You can enjoy anything that God gives you within his guidelines. And no matter how much you have, 1 Timothy 6.17 commands us to hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God provides for our enjoyment. We can enjoy all good things, but the enjoyment doesn't come from things. The enjoyment doesn't come from people. It's an added gift of God to those who love him. Those who are the people of God, who have the capacity and the ability to enjoy all of life in a way that no one else on earth can. Because joy is under God's control. And then Solomon says this in verse 26. For to the one who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So Solomon teaches that seeking pleasure is meaningless. Instead, seek God as the source of pleasure. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, when you acknowledge and seek God as the source of pleasure, he gives you the gifts that satisfy wisdom, knowledge, and joy. And so if you're all about self-indulgence and accumulation and sensation, you'll miss out. 
And life becomes a a frustrating business of amassing more and of chasing success and cataloging your experiences and getting noticed and collecting things and building your rep and searching for satisfaction, none of which lasts. The more you pursue pleasure, the less you will find. When you make pleasure your focus, not only doesn't it last, what you collect ends up in the hands of others. Ray Steadman was a well-known Bible teacher and author, and uh, he, he gave an example of this. He would be called to speak all at conference centers, Christian conferences, all over the world. And, and he, he noticed how many of those places that were now in the hands of Christians used to be the homes of wealthy non-Christians. Uh, so he gave some examples of Christian ministries he was invited to who, who were, that were originally constructed by unbelievers. William Palmer, for instance, built a castle in Colorado for his wife. She only lived in it for a few weeks. Palmer never was in it at all. It sat empty for years. And then the navigators bought it for their world headquarters and conference center. And it's, they still own it and use it that way to this day. Stedman also mentioned an estate in Oregon overlooking the Columbia River, which he said was gorgeous. This was built by a wealthy businessman who was not a Christian. He entertained presidents, multiple presidents at this place. And now the estate belongs to the Alliance Church. And Stedman said this story is duplicated over and over again. Multi-millionaires, he said, in pursuit of pleasure, spend lavishly on their homes, and yet their estates end up being used for Christian ministry. Those big spenders, he said, get nothing for all their efforts. They chase after the wind. So if, if, if you focus on accumulating and acquiring in this visible world, you will lack satisfaction and joy. God-pleasers get it all in the end. Not usually in this life, but absolutely in the life to come. So let me put it in these terms. Seek God as the source of pleasure is what we're being called to. You remember what Jesus said. Why are you so worried about food, drink, and clothes? He said, that's what people who don't know God spend their lives chasing after. Instead, Jesus said, you should desire God's kingdom first, and he will give you what you need. It's Matthew 6. This is the key to a life of meaning. Desire God's kingdom first. How? Jesus said you have to become like a little child to do that. That's the admission that you're dependent on God for everything, but most of all for salvation. You admit that you can't save yourself. Your best efforts will never cut it. You can't rescue yourself from your brokenness, from your frustration, from your darkness, from your sin. But because of his great love, our creator God sent his only son into this fallen world. And the eternal son Jesus took on our humanity so that he could identify with us in every way, but without sin. So Jesus knows our pain. He knows our temptations. He knows our weaknesses. And he took the punishment for our sin, the sin I deserve to pay for. He took it on himself on the cross. He died the death we deserve to die so that all who trust in him alone would have true life. And he was raised from the grave, declaring his victory over sin and death and hell. And because he lives, we too shall live. And so now all the promises that God has made are yes in Christ Jesus. And to his people, those those who believe, God says he will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. Nancy Walker 
tells how she was invited to a funeral for a goldfish that her little five-year-old neighbor Jimmy owned. So she went to the backyard with Jimmy and some others, and Jimmy handed her a, a piece of cardboard and asked if she would write on it something for a tombstone for his goldfish. And so Nancy said, sure, I'll do that. What, what do you want it to say? And Jimmy said, well, write that his name was Mobert. So Nancy wrote Mobert. He said, do you want anything else? Jimmy thought for a moment, and then he said, put down. He was fun while he lasted. That's Solomon's message. Go after pleasure. Make that your pursuit, and you're left with nothing, just a dead goldfish, momentary fun, ultimately meaningless. The closest thing to zero. Approach life differently. Put in these words, seek God first and pleasure follows. What does that mean? What does that look like in your life, in my life? It means that, well, then I enjoy food, not because it's my source of comfort and satisfaction, but because it comes from the hand of a good God. It means that if conscience permits, I can enjoy some wine without being drunk, but as provided by God. It means that I can enjoy my job because I see God as my real employer. And I serve him with the best of my ability. You can enjoy sex because you keep it within a loving marriage relationship as God intends. You can enjoy life because it comes from the hand of the one who created all things good and for our enjoyment. But that can only work to the extent that you pursue God. Thomas Akempis wrote, Seek God not happiness. Why? Because that's how it works. He must be your primary pursuit. If you lack satisfaction today, if if life holds no pleasure, that's what's missing. And ask yourself, do I recognize God as the true source of everything in my life? Is my daily schedule and my big life goal, is it focused on him? Or is it on my success, my enjoyment, my experiences? Am I looking for people or things to make me happy, to give me value, to keep me satisfied? And if so, then lasting pleasure will elude me. Instead, I need to enjoy whatever God gives and and see it as from his hand, enjoy it within his guidelines, and pleasure will follow. True satisfaction comes from the simple pleasures that God gives, doing things with an eternal perspective. This uh, spring, I think it was in April, we had to put a new roof on our house. Um, the other one was leaking. It was old. And uh, as we got that project done, it reminded me of something that happened years ago when I was on a mission trip in Haiti. I was there with uh, about two dozen people, and I was there leading a pastor's conference and uh, some, uh, an evangelistic conference, and we also did some very practical hands-on ministry there. My wife helped deliver a baby, in fact. One of the practical projects was that there was a, a, an old crumbling barn, shall we say, that needed to be torn down. The, the, the walls were, were falling to pieces and I had to take a sledgehammer to them. There, there wasn't much to save at all there except for the roof. The roof had sheets of corrugated metal that were rusty but still usable. And so each sheet of that corrugated metal was going to go to a different home in the community 
as a roof for their little shack. And so as we worked on that project and took each one of those down, I, you know, I, I don't speak Creole, but I took seven and a half years of French, and there are some similarities. And so I, I was able to understand things that people were saying uh, around us, especially if they were very bad. But uh, some of the things that I heard there that day, as one of those sheets of corrugated metal came down, one of the families who got that old sheet metal to cover their tiny home said, isn't God good? That's the perspective the church of Jesus Christ should have over every single thing in life. All food, all drink, all work, all play, all things are from the hand of our Heavenly Father. Enjoy them as he directs. Everything else is worthless when compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray together. Lord, you are the God who has provided all things for our enjoyment as you direct and guide as your people, we would look to you as the source of all these things and worship you every day in every way as the one who provides for us. Lord, may we seek you first and your kingdom, knowing that that is the priority. And then all these other things will be added because you come first. Thank you. Lord God, for that promise and that privilege. And we cry out to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Church family, I want to invite you to stand and respond this time. And as we sing this song, we just want you to know that the, the front here is open as well to respond to the Lord, to come and pray. However he leads in your heart, would you respond this time? you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. It's calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. 
for your blood, Lord. Sing, oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before him. For he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Oh, what a Savior. Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That, as we close this service, a couple of elders will be available here at the front to pray with you, to pray for you. I invite you to take advantage of that as uh, God prompts you to do so. Please receive this blessing from Ephesians chapter 3. This is my prayer to you. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, He will strengthen you with power by His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. God bless you. Go in peace.